Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. So today we cross the halfway point of our blessed sermon series. This is week five of this Beatitude sermon series. So far, working our way backwards, we've talked about the blessing of being persecuted, as long as you are being persecuted for Jesus, right? We've talked about the blessing of being a peacemaker, as long as you are making peace Jesus' way, right? And then we've talked last week about the blessing of being pure in heart, and really how holiness doesn't have any other way, right? Holiness has to be for Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can make us holy. He's the only one who can give us a pure heart. And so now, today, we turn our attention to blessed mercy. So for all of these Beatitudes, we have been working our way backwards. And each week, we've looked at how these Beatitudes really link together, how you can't separate them. They have to go together, and really how they build off of one another. So what the Beatitudes say, what the gospel says is you are not ready to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for, to be persecuted for the things of God until you're ready to be a peacemaker. Until you are God's peacemaker, you'll never be persecuted for the right things. But you're not ready to be a peacemaker until you're willing to pursue the holiness required to make your heart pure. And now today we see that you really can't pursue that holiness, you can't take the first step on that without mercy. If you don't first understand mercy. And if you're paying attention, that seems really backwards, doesn't it? We talked last week about repentance, right? How in the world can mercy come before repentance, right? Because you've got to ask for forgiveness before you can be shown mercy, right? But God's ways are higher than our ways, aren't they? And God does things that doesn't always make sense to us. And God's mercy always comes before repentance, which is strange. This is our problem with the Beatitudes, though, y'all. This is our problem with Scripture in general. It's our problem with Christianity. We try to understand it our way, right? What's that pesky proverb say that always gets tattooed on every single graduation card? What? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Yet over and over again, what do we try to do as Christians? Y'all, <laughs> I think I'm offender number one on this, right? When, I, when God tells me something to do, when he, when he gives me marching orders and it's time for me to go do something, I want to understand it all before I even take the first step, right? But what am I doing? I'm leaning on my own understanding. God, help me understand it, right? That's a, that's a good prayer. There's good in that prayer, but it depends on where we get it from. Help me understand it in my own power? No. Holy Spirit, help me understand it in your power. 
because as long as we try to understand God's ways, man's way, we're going to miss it every single time, and it will never make sense to us. We are told, we are promised in Scripture that we have the mind of Christ, that when God made us a new creation, that he gave us the mind of Christ. Y'all, that's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Who has the mind of Christ except the Holy Spirit, right? And so why am I leaning on my understanding when I have access, unlimited access to the Holy Spirit and I can lean on his understanding? So church, let's stop trying to understand this stuff our way, in our power, right? Let's start leaning on to him and asking him to give us the mind of Christ so that we can understand this stuff. Amen? Let's pray before we start. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word your way. Help us not to lean on our understanding, but to lean into the mind of Christ that you have so freely promised and given to us. Amen. All right, our three points for today. First, it is vital that we understand why mercy comes first. We said that it comes first, but we've got to understand why that's the pecking order. Second, we see that this command of mercy from Jesus, this blessing of mercy on the merciful that Jesus gives us, is the second extreme command in the Beatitudes that he gives us. And it's important for us to understand why that's the case. And then finally, we will see how that extreme stance on mercy shows us the true aim of the Beatitudes and the true aim of mercy. So first up, why mercy first? Why is it so vital that mercy comes before repentance? That it comes before a pure heart? And we actually saw it last week. Uh, I showed it outright to you, and then if you went home and did your homework and reread the story of King Hezekiah, you actually see it in the story of Hezekiah as well. Um, but I don't think we always see it. I, it's one of those things we read it, but I don't think we see it. It doesn't register with us. Um, I saw it. What's your excuse? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's because I wrote all the sermons, right? I wrote them all together, and so that's why I saw it. But y'all, like, I'm a little embarrassed to say, like, you know, the, I was today years old when I learned this, right? Like, it wasn't until I started writing this that I realized, oh my goodness, like, Mercy does come before repentance. And then as I started researching and studying and everything, you see all the scripture passages. It's like, holy cow, Lord, how did I miss this? Like, you know, I've been seriously pursuing the Lord for 12 years. I mean, like, seriously, like 12 years ago, said, God, I'm all in, seriously pursuing him. And, you know, I've been saved for 22 years. And yet, how cool is it that no matter how far you are in your walk with God, he continues to blow your mind. Amen? Some of you ever have a testimony more than 22 years, right? And God continues to reveal himself to you and blow your mind with new mercies, with new, new things that we learn about him that he reveals to us, right? And I am completely convinced that we are going to get to heaven and we are going to spend all of eternity having our minds blown at how incredible our God is. All of eternity is not going to be long enough, right? To worship him for everything that he's done and for who he is. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven for all of eternity. 
is learning, discovering, seeing him for who he is and worshiping him. But this is what we missed last week, unless some of you were super sleuthful and you figured it out before me. You're just smarter than I am. But it was in our final point, and it's in this prophecy that we got in Joel chapter 2. It says this, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and tear your heart and not merely your garment. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and relenting of catastrophe. Do you see it? You see the mercy in there now? Return to me, yes, that's the repentance. But why? Why return to God? Because of who he is. Y'all, the gospel is rooted in this. The Bible is rooted in this. We need to be rooted in this. Everything always comes back to the character of God to who he is. And so when God says repent, he doesn't say repent and I might forgive you. Does he? What's the gospel say? Repent because this is who I am. I have already forgiven you. Repent because I am gracious and compassionate. Because I am slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and relenting of catastrophe. Return to God because he has already extended mercy to you. That's the call of repentance, and that's the gospel. Now we must remember, though, it's a funny thing with the gospel. It cuts two ways, right? As with most things in the Bible. Because this type of mercy is absolutely wonderful when you receive it, isn't it? This is the kind of mercy that makes you sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, isn't it? When you first realize the truth of the gospel, when you first realize that Jesus Christ gave his life for you while you were still a sinner, that he died for you before you had even committed your first offense, he covered it. That kind of grace is absolutely mind-blowing. The question is, is it still as mind-blowing when Jesus asks you to forgive those who have transgressed against you? Do you love it as much then? Because human nature says you don't love it as much then. Do we? This kind of mercy is very easy. Well, and I shouldn't say that. For some people, this is extremely difficult to receive. Some people don't like this. You, you want to pay your penance. You want God to punish you because that's that legalism, right? You, you're, the rule following, you, you want you know, something. God, like you've freely given to me, but I, I want to pay something. Like Give me a splinter or anything. Like, punish me for my sins, right? That's not how it works, though. And you've got to learn that. If you're going to take your first step in the gospel, you've got to learn. You are forgiven first. You were forgiven first. And so you've got to forgive yourself. So sometimes that's the hardest person to forgive for some of us, right? You've got to forgive yourself. But this also applies to everyone else. We've got to forgive others first before they even ask for repentance, before, or before they repent, before they even ask for forgiveness, right? 
Paul says the same. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 2, verses 3 through 4. He says, But do you suppose this, you foolish person who passes judgment on those who practice such things and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God showed his mercy first. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel says down to its core. And yet, those of us who profess to know and live the gospel, Christians, are so slow, can be so slow, to extend that same mercy to the lost and dying world around us. We look at the world and we condemn them and we judge them instead of extending the same mercy that initially drew us to Christ. Was it God's condemnation that drew you to him? Or was it God's mercy that drew you to him? Right? We expect the world to become like Jesus first. And then, maybe then, we'll talk about mercy. But this fatal flaw shows a double standard in our doctrine. And it's not in our doctrine, actually. If you want to talk about real doctrine, it's, it's in a false doctrine, right? You guys know, I've talked about this before, i got a bone to pick with these people who say, oh, forget religion and find God, right? It's not about doctrine, it's not about religion, those are old stuffy things, we need relationship. Now, number one, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, the majority of the people who say that, what they're really criticizing is not doctrine and religion, they're criticizing false doctrine and false religion, and God criticizes it too, y'all, that's what Jesus spends his entire time with the Pharisees, right? He's, he's coming against false doctrine and, and, and false religion. But the other thing, the trouble we fall into is we can lean into people who say that kind of stuff. The danger is there's this, oh, but there's the, look at this open door over here. Look at this wide door over here of relationship. Oh, it's freeing, isn't it? But ladies and gentlemen, you are just, it's just as dangerous to fall into false relationship as it is to false doctrine and false religion. Because you can find yourself in a relationship with somebody who you say is Jesus, who doesn't actually look anything like the real Jesus. Right? That's why you need religion and doctrine to show you who Jesus is. So you know, am I with the real Jesus? So it's not choosing, right, one over the other. It's about bringing them to, the two together and being in relationship with the right Jesus, right? So don't fall into that. Don't fall into false doctrine or false religion or false relationship and forgive those who have offended you. First, our inability to do so really shows a glaring hole in our walk with the Lord. And Jesus says as much so. We talked about this last week, right? Jesus gives us the beatitude that those with, with a pure heart, they're the ones that see God. And we have the tendency of being really bad as human beings at drawing out implications all the way, right? We see things on surface value. A lot of us just leave it at surface value, right? Oh, yay, the pure in heart see God, and we just leave it there, right? Some of us will take it the next step and kind of stay there, but very few people will actually take it all the way as far as it needs to go. Right? We do that with you know, lots of these arguments that you have, like defense of the faith stuff. 
with atheists and all these things who think that something came out of nothing. They're horrible at chasing the implications of that. So what is the implication if, if you know, all of this is nothing? <laughs> what are we doing here, right? But you don't like to chase that implications. We, we have all these fights and all these, well, all lives matter and da-da-da. Well, no, they don't. If this is nothingness, if all of this is nothing, then nothing matters. Li- all lives don't matter. Your life doesn't matter. Nothing matters. But we don't like that implication, do we? Because it cuts against everything that we know to be true. But Christian, we do the same thing. We are so bad at chasing implication. Because if it's the pure in heart that see God, what does that mean if you're not pure in heart? You can't see God, right? So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, chase the implications. What happens if you're not merciful? Whoa, you don't receive mercy, right? And just in case you were tempted to say, well, pastor, (laughs) God doesn't exactly go there with the beatitude. Well, maybe not with the beatitude, but he sure goes there elsewhere, doesn't he? And he goes there in the darndest of places. It's in that pesky Lord's Prayer that almost every single person in the universe has memorized, right? Of all the places for Jesus to go there, he does so in the Lord's Prayer, Right? Maybe we should pay a little more attention. That's the problem with memorizing. Can I warn you on memorization? Sometimes when you memorize things, it becomes rote and dead. Right? That's, that's the problem that a lot of churches who are heavily steeped in doctrine and theology have, is that these, these rituals, these habits become rote and dead, and there's no life in them anymore. We can't forget the life in it. So when you recite these Bible verses you've memorized, the Lord's Prayer that you memorize, y'all, I'm all for it. I love it. I, I love the memorization of things. I love the, you know, where the, the pastor reads something, the liturgy where the pastor reads something, the congregation reads it back. I love that stuff because it's declaring God's word. And when the people declare God's word, there's power in that. The word tells us this. I love that stuff, but it cannot lose the life behind it. It's got to keep that life, which means we have to remember why we're doing it. Why are you reciting the Lord's Prayer? Oh, I don't know, because Jesus said to. When you pray, pray like this, right? And then he puts in this prayer. It's an incredible prayer. There's a German theologian, I can't remember his name anymore, but he actually breaks down the Lord's Prayer, and he shows how all, every single one of the 150 psalms that are written fit into the categories that Jesus lays out in the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that incredible? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus summarizes the entire book of Psalms. Only Jesus, y'all, right? Pretty incredible. That's why when those pastors, they, you know, pray for you, and they just pray on and on and on and on and on. It's like, y'all, Jesus did it in just a couple words. Can get on with it here, you know? I'm just kidding. But when Jesus says... Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Already done, past tense, you see it? As we also have already forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then they put in those pesky brackets. That means it's not in the original manuscript. But it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
maybe, just maybe, we should go on and memorize this next part as well. For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. Now, whenever you fast, do not make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they distort their faces so that they will be noticed by the people when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. This is the part we need to memorize, isn't it? If you forgive other people, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you do not, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your offenses. There is zero wiggle room in that, is there, y'all? No gray areas for us to comfortably slide into. It's pretty black and white. No forgiveness from you, no forgiveness for you. That's it. That's the command of Jesus. See, this is hard. And y'all, we got to lean into the hard, because if we don't lean into the hard, we won't understand why this is the case. Because the problem is, and, and this, is, this is legit, I understand it, I asked God the same question, right? But what's the gospel say? The gospel says Jesus is enough, right? Just Jesus. That's what the gospel is. It's not Jesus plus works. It's not Jesus plus faith. It's not Jesus plus, it's just Jesus, Right? Either Jesus Christ was good enough or he wasn't. So why in the world is Jesus adding this in here? Because it sounds a lot like a plus, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like Jesus is saying, well, you got to believe in me, but you also have to forgive others. To which we say, ah, 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 Jesus. It's not Jesus plus, all right? Has anybody ever talked to God like that, right? Reminding God of what his rules are. Yeah, that's not how that works, right? Jesus, you forgot. Peter does that a lot, right? Jesus, that's not how this works. But this is what Jesus himself teaches. And it's not like this is a standalone, y'all. Jesus teaches an entire pro or a parable about this in Matthew 18. Says this, Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how many times shall, I sin how, shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. There's this really interesting reversal that Jesus does here uh, that I don't think a lot of us realize, but way back in Genesis 4, all the way back in Genesis 4, there's a story of Cain and Abel, right? Where Cain kills his brother Abel. Cain goes on to have children, but one of the things that God does is Cain is going out, Cain, or he gets kicked out of the garden, but one of the things that God does is, is he's afraid for his life. And so God says, if anyone takes your life, I will avenge you 77 times, right? Anybody who takes your life, I, I, I will avenge you. I, I will, you know, take it out on them. So then we go down generations. Cain has children. This man named Lamech comes around, one of Cain's descendants. Lamech comes around and tells his wife, he kills a man for injuring him and says, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, I'm sorry, Cain, God tells Cain it was sevenfold, so then Lamech says, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then allow Lamech to be 77-fold, right? He intensifies that revenge. But what's Jesus do? Completely flips it around, right? 
What's Jesus say? He doesn't say, I will avenge you 77. He says, you forgive 77. Complete reversal of that prayer of Lamech. Anyway, that was just an interesting little tidbit there. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began, began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought in. So everybody's aware, 10,000 talents for a servant, a slave like this man would have been. One talent was worth 15 years of work. You want to do the math on that? I didn't because I didn't want to do the math on that a debt that you could never repay, right? One talent is 15 years. This is 10,000 times 15. How many years would it take this man to pay off that debt? But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his, with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the master of that slave felt compassion and he released him and forgave his debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he would pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what was happening, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master, moved with anger, handed, it, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. That is heavy, y'all, isn't it? So lean into the heavy. Ask the question, God, why? Why is forgiveness so important? Why is mercy a must? And the answer is that a failure to forgive, a failure to extend mercy, ultimately shows that we have missed the mark entirely, that our aim is completely off. We've talked about the aim of all of these things, right? the aim of all of these beatitudes. And what is the aim, right? Jesus tells us at the end of Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The aim of every single beatitude is nothing less than the perfection of God. Jesus wants us to be exactly like him, which means we have to forgive exactly like him. Mercy, the mercy of God, being merciful, it, it shows us the gospel, right? It shows us the gospel of God. So if we fail to be merciful to others after God has been merciful as, uh, to us, what does that show? That we've missed the gospel entirely, right? that we didn't understand. There's something critical in our understanding of the gospel that we're missing. The majority of the time, what I have found, 
is that it's, I don't understand the debt that I truly owed God. My sins don't look that bad to me. And when my sins don't look that bad to me, when God has only forgiven me a little bit, then it's harder for me to, to extend mercy to those whose sins are worse than mine. Right? And when I do extend mercy, careful, y'all. We're going to talk about this more next week. But the, the, the danger in this is that we can extend mercy, but we extend mercy down our nose. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We extend mercy while looking down on someone else. Oh, well, look at him. He's a drug addict from the slums. Oh, yes. Come, I will extend my mercy to you. Right? Because I've never struggled with those things. Right? Just as bad. Because mercy with the wrong motives is just as bad as not extending it in the first place. Our aim must be on. 100% on. Which means we have to understand the gospel. We have to understand what Jesus truly did to us. There's a minister named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've quoted him before. I think I've actually told this story before. But he talks about, you know, when, if you come home and your neighbor says, hey, you know, somebody, somebody was here, a bill collector was here, uh, and he was here to collect a bill, and I just I went ahead and paid it for you. And he says, you have no idea how to react to the man until you know what was paid, right? Because if, it's, if, if the man says, like, well, you forgot to put a postage stamp on your mail, you owe me 35 cents. Well, it's like, oh, well, gee, thanks. Do you want me to get you a stamp, or are we cool? Like, does that, do I repay that? Like, how, how do you feel about this, right? But if he says you owed, you know, 700 years of back taxes, right? You start weeping and fall at the guy's feet, and, and you know, you're, you're his BFF for life, right? You'll do pretty much whatever the guy says from that point on. Our problem in Christianity is we don't understand the debt that we owe God. We look at our debt and we, we see it as this, you know, hundred denarii instead of the, these talents, this, this 100,000 years worth of trying to work this off, right? And we don't see what our sin cost. But y'all, when we look to the cross, we see with crystal clarity how much our sin cost. Because there was no other price that would cover your sin except the death of the Son of God. That was the only price worthy enough to cover our sin. And Jesus paid it. Jesus gave it gladly. I've referenced this passage before. The best gospel verse in the Bible. If somebody said, Jeremy, you've got one verse to preach the gospel. I am pro preaching Romans 5.8 every time. Every single time. It is the best single verse that encapsulates the entire gospel. And it says this. Look at the mercy in this. It says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel, y'all. This is why it is so vital that we get it right. The aim of every single one of these Beatitudes is to be like Jesus. The aim of the Beatitudes in a whole, the aim of the entire word of God, is to make us like Jesus. And so we have to get this right, because we cannot be like Jesus unless we show mercy the way that Jesus did. And this is what Jesus did. God showed mercy while we were still sinners. Mercy came 
first. I didn't put it in there today, but, but the, you see the same thing if you go back and read the story of Hezekiah that we talked about last week. When Hezekiah sends the men of Judah to go and recruit people from Israel to come back to the Lord, they go and the message they go with is, come back because the Lord is merciful. Because God's mercy is great. And y'all, study it. I, I dare you. Prove me wrong. I challenge you, right? Because it's going to get you in your word. And you're not going to prove me wrong because it's God's word. And this is God's word, right? But this is how God does it every time. Every time God calls the Israelites back, he does so and says, because I am a God of compassion, because I am a God of mercy, because I have already made the way for you from the beginning of time when before Adam and Eve even sinned in the garden, Jesus was the way. Before any of this fell apart, y'all, this, this makes people uncomfortable. People really don't like this theology. I don't care because it's God's theology, not mine. God's plan in the garden was for Adam and Eve to sin. Well, how can you say that, pastor? Because it happened. God doesn't do plan Bs, y'all, right? It's funny because when you wrestle with this theology, people know that. Well, I know that God doesn't do plan Bs. Then everything that has happened has been the way it's supposed to happen, right? So for whatever reason, and I don't get it yet, y'all, I don't understand it. I wish it didn't exist this way. But for some reason, God in his mercy decided that introducing sin into this world was not a good way, was not an okay way, but was the best way to get us back to him. That for whatever reason, that was the only way. You know, I have my ideas. I won't share them right now because that'd be a whole other sermon series that we need to get into on that one. But, but do you see this? And when you see this, when you see that this was the plan from the beginning, then you see that before Adam and Eve introduced the world to sin, Jesus Christ was the way. Do you see it, y'all? Mercy came first. Jesus Christ, it's easy for us because we're living 2,000 years beyond it, right? So we can pretty easily say, yeah, Jesus gave his life well before I ever sinned. But Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his life before this world was even created. Jesus said, Father, I am willing to go to the cross for these people who will deny you, who will spit on me, who will curse me, who will drive nails through my hands and my feet and pierce my side. I will do it, Lord. Because mercy goes first. Because that's who God is. This is what Hezekiah told his people when they were to go and recruit these people from Israel, these people who were completely lost and worshiping idols. Y'all, we wring our hands today like this is the worst the world has ever been. And Y'all, it was just as bad back then. And what did God say through Hezekiah? Go and show them my mercy. What is he saying to us, church? Go and show them my mercy. Show them how much I love them. Not go and judge them. Right? Not go and boycott and picket and do all these things. Go and show them my mercy. 
It's what Paul reminds us in Romans 2. It's how every single prophet is sent out. Y'all, we're in the middle of Isaiah in our Bible in a year plan, and sometimes Isaiah can get a little, right? Because it just feels like it's just a two-by-four over the head over and over and over again. But over and over again, you get this punch, 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 but it always comes back to come back to the Lord. For no matter what you've done, He is merciful, and He will take you back like that. Israel as a nation, you as a person, God is ready to receive you no matter what you've done. But y'all, we cannot forget that this sword cuts both ways, right? Because it's not just that God has extended this mercy to you. It's that now you must extend that same mercy to everyone else. We get this mistaken idea that forgiveness is only for the other person, right? You think that, you know, forgiveness is only for the person who's committed the crime. And y'all, it's not true. There's that old Chinese proverb, you guys ever heard the, or revenge is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. Have you guys heard that? There's, just trust me if you haven't. There's a Chinese proverb that says that. Revenge is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. But y'all, it's, it's very true, right? And when we hold on to these grudges and when we refuse to forgive, y'all, it is slowly killing you. In my experience, this is just my personal experience, the majority of the time, I kill myself thinking about the conversations I'd have with so-and-so if he just came around here. And oh, if he only knew. And they're not even, they're, they're not even thinking about me, right? The majority of the time, they have no idea that they even did anything that upset me. And I'm sitting here holding on to it, and it's robbing my peace, and it's robbing my joy. Forgive well, but you don't know what he did. If he, if he comes, I mean, I, it doesn't matter. Forgive. And God says, if you're going to do it like Jesus, y'all, and if you want to call yourself a disciple, you better do it like Jesus. God says, forgive before they ever ask for forgiveness. God says, show mercy, even if they have no interest in ever coming to you for forgiveness. As far as it depends upon you, you forgive before anything else. You forgive. Y'all, we act like Jesus was sitting up on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then they pulled out the nails real quick and they pulled them down and they got band-aids and they cut. That's not what happened, was it? They went right on crucifying him. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I know they're not going to stop this. And Jesus did it anyway. That is God's love. And ladies and gentlemen, you will not win anyone to Christ any other way. Not to the true Christ. Why do we think that we can go to this world and judge and condemn them into the kingdom of God? It's no wonder it's not working, y'all, because that's not how God did it. That's not how Jesus did it with us. If you think back to when you came into the kingdom, his mercy led the way. Y'all, hell is real. We're going to talk about this next week because you can actually root mercy in some things that, that aren't appropriate to root mercy in. And we'll talk about that next week when we talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We've got to have the two linked. But we have got to start with mercy. 
we've got to go to people as merciful individuals, people who have been shown God's mercy, who understand the mercy of the gospel, and that's how we go, because that's how Jesus went. We're going to celebrate communion this morning, and it is God's mercy toward us that we remember when we take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, If you did not get a communion cup slash wafer combo pack, uh, Jana's got them around. I actually didn't grab one today, so I forgot to. Thank you. Got the super fancy uh, cups now. Just uh, beginner's advice. We start with the bread, so open the bread first. If you open the cup first, you're going to get juice all over you. So that's where we start. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was abandoned by his closest followers. He went to the garden completely and, and was left completely alone. Every single disciple who had walked with him turned against him, y'all. And this is the act that he wanted them to remember. This act of mercy that he was about to show. He showed all of his disciples, us included, what he was about to do. The mercy that God had already extended before a single one had fallen away. This is what Jesus said. That night, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, the bread which represents the body of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, he took the cup, and after giving, his thank, after giving thanks, he said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The promise that Jesus is coming back, y'all. And those of us who follow him, who are made in his image, we will drink this cup with him forever in paradise. Church, the cup which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to let the weight of this set in this morning, y'all. Sometimes we can rush through communion and forget that Jesus says, I want you to remember. I want you to do this and remember. So can we just take a minute? We're not going to sing a song. We're not going to do anything. But can we just let the weight of this set in? This is the mercy of God poured out for you.
is the gospel, y'all. God's mercy poured out for all of mankind while we were still completely helpless. Jesus Christ gave his life so that we could be made right with God. And if we will let the Holy Spirit do his work in us, y'all, to take our hands off and let the Holy Spirit do his work in us, he will make us perfect. That's his promise, not mine. He will make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. God gave up infinitely more than he will ever ask you to give up for a debt infinitely greater than we could ever pay back. And he gave it all up before we had even asked to turn to him, before we had even thought about turning back to him. Now, you are called to give mercy in the exact same way, just as freely as God has given to you. It is that mercy that will lead others to repentance because it is that mercy that God led us to repentance. But to truly understand that, we've got to know what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And thankfully, that's what we'll be talking about next week. So until then, my goal is God himself, at any cost, dear Lord, and by any road. And may we show others the incredible mercy that you have shown us, knowing that it is this mercy that will lead others to repentance. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointing to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough. Thank you.